Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us how to bear our cross. In Jesus' name, amen. I know it's too early to talk about Lent, but then again, it's also too early to have Christmas stuff up in stores, but there they are. The bridge between Epiphany and Lent is Jesus getting baptized. He then goes out into the wilderness in order to face Satan. Now, this is where our gospel lesson and Lent collide, because the book of Hebrews says, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet is without sin. As Jesus wanders around the wilderness, Satan says, I'll give you the universe, all the planets, stars, galaxy. I'll give it all to you. You can be your own God. You can start over again. Just let me have the current people to do with as I please. The picture that pops into my mind is a cat playing with a mouse. And it lets the mouse go. And the mouse gets just far enough away to think there's hope. And then the cat pounces on it again. And just plays this game over and over again until the mouse dies. Satan is asking to toy with us. Only it will be a game that never ends. So what do you think? Is humanity worth saving? I mean, Jesus has the chance to start all over again. And maybe this time, get it right. In other words, people that don't mess up. Uh, we'd all be lost in eternity of playing cat and mouse. And Jesus wouldn't have to suffer or die. Now, given the source of the proposal, Satan, being the one who, by the way, who caused all the pain and death and suffering in the first place, Jesus knows not to accept his offer. But you wonder if Jesus, for just a microsecond, was the least bit interested. I mean, after all, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes and he says, Father, if there's any other way other than me going to the cross and dying, now's the time to let me know. The paradoxical teaching that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, well, it baffles more than just mathematicians who point out you can't have 200% of something. It baffles us too. I mean, the holiness of God in all its purity and perfectness somehow entangled in the sweat and blood, pain and lostness of humanity. You'd think that it would be like oil and water, positive and negative ions, the Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders, things that are so opposite that they naturally and strongly repel each other. And yet there's Jesus, God and man. Growing up and growing older, hungry and crying, yet walking on water, healing the sick, casting on, out demons, and loving the unlovable. If anyone knew the human side of Jesus, it would be his mom and his disciples. I mean, they knew that his feet got just as dirty as theirs, that he got hungry. Occasionally, he used a whip to chase people out of church, and he called some people broods of vipers and whitewashed tombs. But they also saw him do things no other person could do, like talk to God as though he were real and, and listening. Forgive his executioners. Feed thousands with just um, two fish and five loaves of bread. You know, when Jesus died, something that everybody did, it, it might have been too soon, but the disciples knew that it was inevitable. I mean, Jesus is human. Everybody dies, right? But when Jesus rose from the dead, well, that was a miracle that they could not explain. Now, if we were out in the wilderness and Satan offered us a similar deal, I don't think you need to be a seminary professor or Billy Graham uh, to say no. I mean, most of us aren't Charlie Daniels. So challenging the devil to a fiddle contest is something that we know better than. But does it change things if Peter offers the deal? Because Peter is offering Jesus 
the same deal that Satan did. Now, this is Peter, one of the three special disciples. You know, the one who shouted, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yay me. He loves Jesus, has his best interest at heart. Just like the day that Jesus' mom showed up and was angry at the crowds because they wouldn't give him even enough time to eat his peanut butter and jelly sandwich that she had made. Peter was never the president of the church's board of directors. That job actually went to James. James was the one that had to run all the church councils and settle all those nasty heresies the first years of the church. Peter is more the chief operating officer, far more interested and experienced at making sure that the church does exactly what God asked it to do, make disciples, baptize, teach. Now, since Jesus was the church, along with being the way, the truth, and the life, the good shepherd, the gate, the resurrection, and the life, everyone knows that you don't let your franchise player leave. Peter knows if Jesus leaves, either everything's going to fall apart or the disciples are going to have to step up and become Jesus with skin on for the world and do the things Jesus did, and he's not sure they're ready for that. So when Jesus talks about suffering, dying, and rising again, Peter does what every good, good coach does, tries to talk him out of it. You know, way back in high school, I had to take a truckload of stuff to the mountains and drop it off. Didn't want to go alone, so I called my best friend and said, do you want to go along? He said, absolutely, pick me up in 15 minutes, and I did. That night when I was dropping him off, his mom came out of the house and wanted to talk to me. It seems that she had left him a long list of things, which included giving their pet llama a bath and scraping the hoofs. And because he was with me, none of that got done. Oops. You know, most of us are pretty good at finding ways to avoid doing the things that we don't want to do. And woe to the person who enables us. So how are you doing? I mean that. How are you doing? I mean, I would tell you that I'm fine, but you would know that I'm lying. And by the way, if you try to tell me you're fine, I'm going to know that you're lying. I mean, we might be doing pretty good this morning. Might have had our iced tea or coffee. Maybe had an omelet, a donut, or some leftover pizza for breakfast. No new text messages, and our email is just full of spam, things we can delete. So it is a pretty good morning. But tomorrow's going to arrive in less than 24 hours. And uh, with it, all the things we put off last week, all the things that we know we got to get done this week, and some of it, let's face it, we really, really, really don't want to do. Now, six chapters before our gospel today, Jesus told his disciples for the first time, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. It was obvious that Peter wasn't listening that day. Because today, it's like Peter telling Jesus, you know what, Jesus, forget your cross and just follow me. And that is so backwards and messed up. Maybe it's too soon since Lahaina is so fresh in our minds, but I want to play a quick game of Burning House. All your family, all your friends, all your animals are safe. Okay, do you have that? All your friends, all your family, all your animals are safe. You can only save one thing in your house. Only one. What's it going to be? By the way, don't think, just what, what popped into your mind. Now, figure out why you said that. What is it that made it so important that you would choose it over everything else? By the way, I know some of you froze up and you couldn't just choose one thing because it's like, no, 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 I have to have that, that, and that, but that's just the way the mind works. I want you to know that, by the way, no matter what you chose, it's okay. I mean that. Whatever you chose, it's okay. See, while this is just a game, and one second after it popped into your head, 
you might have had some doubts, you might have had some regrets, you might have wanted to have changed things. It is what it is because the mind really is mystery. This is why Jesus, kneeling in prayer in the garden, said, Father, I know I left heaven and all the glory and got born in Bethlehem and grew up and experienced everything a human experiences, and I did all that just so that I could die on the cross. That's my whole purpose for being here is to die on the cross. However, if there's another way, let me know. Going back to the book of Hebrews, the whole we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet with, is without sin suddenly becomes really important because if it had me, been me in that garden praying that prayer, I would have finished the prayer with, you know, I'm sure you got a backup plan, Father, so if you need me, I'll be in Hawaii on vacation, but my cell phone will be turned off. So you know what? I'll look forward to seeing how you save the world. Jesus tells his Father, not my will, but thine be done turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. It, it, it turns out that Jesus takes this Messiah thing a lot more seriously than we do. To his defense, uh, Peter often says what we're thinking, although most of us wouldn't admit that. I mean, that's kind of why we like Peter. It's like, I was going to think that. I'm glad he said it, and I didn't. We're more like the other disciples. We think it. We just don't say it. And when Jesus draws the parallel between Satan and the wilderness and Peter, I mean, it had to hurt, but it needed to. The only way Peter is going to get what it means for Jesus to be a savior is to get so much wrong that he literally runs out of things to say and do and be that, that are just totally wrong. And then when Jesus dies and three days later is barbecuing some fish on the beach, Peter realizes the only thing he can do is jump out of the boat and swim to the shore and just fall at the feet of Jesus until he runs out of tears. And then Jesus lifts him up, tells him to feed his sheep. And I know that's a little bit awkward because it's fish and boats and the ocean. But he turns and he says, feed my sheep. And Peter doesn't argue. He doesn't push back. He doesn't say, I've got a better idea. He just asks, where's the food? How often do I feed him? And is there anything else I need to do? You see, once Peter experienced Good Friday and Easter, everything changed. God gathered up all of humanity's violence and abuse and war and pain and disease and even all of that pain that those who scam the elderly cause. And he holds up his hands and he says, peace, be still. It's going to be okay. And because you can see right through his hands where the nails were and that there's this big hole in his side where the spear was, you get just how much it is that he loves you. And you begin to believe that it really is going to be okay. I don't know what Peter's face looked like when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The Bible says that Jesus turned and said it loud enough for everybody to hear. I also don't know if the other disciples laughed or, or whether they just kind of pretended they didn't hear. Did Peter try to explain himself? Did the disciples come to his defense? Did God the Father reach down out of heaven with a Snickers bar and say, Jesus, you're just not yourself today. Try this. I mean, it does seem like a little bit of an overreaction on Jesus' part. I mean, after all, Peter was just trying to be helpful, right? And maybe that's the point. So often when we have constructive criticism for God on how he's going about his work, we think we're being helpful. But what if in our desire to be helpful, we're actually hurting people? What if in our quest to be helpful, we remove the cross and the empty tomb and the forgiveness of sins and life eternal? 
See, moments like the one in our gospel lesson are where I find my soul laid bare by the emptiness and the failure of so much of my life. All those things that may or may not have been helpful, things I said, things I did, things I know I should have done. And I get what it's like to be Peter in that moment. But here's the thing about God. You see, before we can go and get a cake and a balloon clown to have a pity party, Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. And some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, since the disciples were always asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom of heaven today? This is, is huge. And notice, Jesus doesn't single Peter out and exclude him from this promise. It says he was talking to all the disciples, and the word all, by the way, means all, including Peter. The number of times I've experienced God taking one or more of my messes and creating something good out of it, something new, well, I've actually lost track. I can't count how many times God has fixed what I broke. And the new thing is usually something I never would have chosen or dreamed of, but wind up being amazed at. And often this newness starts with someone who's able to forgive me, walk with me, point me in the right direction. And instead of saying, oh, you're the one that Jesus called Satan. Yeah, and, and told him to get behind him. Man, did you mess up. Everybody is talking about it. Instead, they say, I heard you messed up. We all do. And I'm going to share some of the leftover forgiveness, love, and grace that keeps bubbling up in my life after the last time I messed up. It seems that God just keeps pouring it out. I hope it's going to allow you to know that he still loves you, that he cares about you, and that he's still got some things for you to do. Peter's life was a yo-yo, up and down, sin and forgiveness, the highest highs, the lowest lows. Have you ever had any of that in your own life? I mean, literally, you know, one minute everything's great, and the next minute you realize that you just totally messed up. The goal of baptism and communion and worship is for you to experience death and resurrection so deeply and so often it simply becomes your life. The tension between your failures and successes keep you focused on the cross and the empty tomb. On Jesus calling you out and telling you you got to stand behind him. But then, not that much later, calling you to walk out on the water with him. I mean, Peter couldn't help being Peter. I, you know, this is why the church is not a 12-step club. I mean, those 12-step organizations are necessary and they are needed, but that's not what the church is. See, here you're going to come face-to-face -face with your limitations, your sins, your pain, your pride, your fear, but you're also going to come face-to-face -face with your Savior. It is who you are. By the way, there's a difference between feeling shame and feeling loved. Shame and guilt rarely help anyone. Love, on the other hand, when you know you're loved, instead of running away or a slew of self-destructive tendencies, you can just stand there staring into the eyes of your Savior and know that it is going to be okay. If we're looking for a reason for what Peter did, I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's not enough to be made in the image of God. I mean, sometimes we actually think we're God, that we know better than everyone, including Jesus. You know, one of the big differences between me and God is there are days when I think I'm God, but there's never been a day when God thinks he's me. That doesn't stop him from loving and forgiving me. He forgives me for those days that I try to be him. You know, when Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, there's actually no better place to be. Especially when Jesus follows it up with, take up your cross and follow me. 
I mean, the only way we can follow Jesus is to be behind him, letting him lead the way home. Oh, and by the way, don't forget, he promised Thomas, he said, you know, where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that, that you may come and be with me forever. Sounds like a pretty good deal. Next time you say or do something that you know would leave Jesus shaking his head and pointing for you to get behind him, remember this. Six days after this event, six, just six days later, Jesus took James, John, and Peter up on a mountain to hang out with Elijah and Moses and get a glimpse of eternity. Not bad for a guy who just the week before Jesus called Satan. It's called grace. We have a forgiving God. Sometimes we need to remember that, but all the time we need to give thanks for it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.